Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will begin a discussion on 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Peter writes, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. We'll go ahead and stop right there, and if we get further, we'll read farther in the text. But we have to keep in mind as we come to this new chapter here, uh, one thing in particular, I'm sure it'll come up many times over and over again, and that is the fact that the chapter and verse divisions uh, didn't come until much, much, much later, and uh, that was not part of the divine inspiration. And so we have to remember that as Peter is writing this letter, this verse, verse 1 of chapter 2, immediately follows this incredible proclamation that he has just made in verses 20 and 21 about how we get Scripture and how authoritative the Scripture is and the Word of God is. We have access to the truth, and that's a glorious thing. That's how Peter ends chapter 1 with this incredible account of how inspiration works. And therefore, we can have full confidence in the Word of God. It has always been this way. But we live in a fallen world. God gave his infallible word to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And today we see that the device that Satan used to tempt them away from the truth is still being used. You may ask yourself, what is that? Well, he used doubt. He cast aspersion and doubt on the word of God to question God's authority and to twist the word of God and say something untrue about it. And that could actually be subsumed under the doctrine of false teaching. Indeed, Satan really was the very first false teacher, and now it has plunged the world into sin because of his deception and Adam's willingness to go along with that. Uh, Eve was deceived, but Adam was absolutely 100% knowledgeable as he walked into that sin. And now we have battled false teaching ever since then. And so as we look at these three verses, uh, we are really talking about false teaching. And is interesting, when I had an opportunity to preach through this passage a f- few years ago, I titled this section, The Unwelcome Companion of Orthodoxy. The Unwelcome companion of orthodoxy. Wherever you're going to find accurate teaching, orthodox teaching, the scriptures, you will also find an unwelcome companion to that, and that's going to be false teaching. So if there's a church on the corner and they're preaching the word of God, you have to understand that there's going to be a counterpoint to that somewhere in the near vicinity who is going to be twisting that, perverting that, and that is just the way that it has been and always will be until 
sin is a re- removed from the world until uh, Satan is defeated. We know that his defeat is sure at the cross of Calvary, but it has not yet been realized. It will be one day, but until that time comes, we are always aware of this unwelcome companion of orthodoxy. So the topic at hand then is false teaching. And we would say this as we begin to look into this topic, that we must all be on our guard against the dangers of false teaching. Listen, I'm not immune from this either. Every single one of us who names the name of Christ has a, a very serious responsibility to be on guard against the dangers of false teaching. How can we be on guard? Well, according to this passage, we can do that by recognizing the characteristics of false teaching. So the first thing that I'd like to get into here in verse 1 of chapter 2, the first characteristic of false teaching is that it is pervasive. False teaching is pervasive. That means it's just found everywhere. Another word we could use for that is ubiquitous. So false teachers here, what are we talking about? Because this is how he starts off this conversation in verse one, but false teachers, we could define them this way as pseudo prophets. Of course, we already made mention of this just a few moments ago. The first false teacher was in fact, Satan in the garden of Eden. But the word here could be defined this way, one who falsely claims to be a prophet of God or one who falsely prophesies, a false or bogus prophet. Now, I think that goes without saying, but you have to understand that not everybody who claims to be somebody who can declare the word of God is actually somebody who is doing that. There are plenty of people out there who today aren't trying, they're not saying, listen, I'm going to twist and pervert the word of God and I'm going to, I'm going to change the gospel and I'm going to give you heresy, you know, heresy alert incoming, right? They're not going to say anything like that. So it's one who falsely claims to speak for God. And of course the old Testament is replete with examples of that. Uh, or, It can be someone who genuinely thinks that they may be speaking for God, but they prophesy falsely. And by the way, not all prophecies have to do with future telling. They simply, it's declaring what the word of God has to say. And so they can be erroneous. They can be bogus in that. So we see the definition of a false teacher, but then we see this with regards to its pervasiveness and and their nature that they existed in the past. False teachers also arose among the people, and this is a past tense. The verb is complete. It's aorist, which refers to not necessarily a, a past action, but it does look at a completed action. And so it's saying that it's already happened. And this is a reference really back to verse 21 of chapter one. And that's why we have to make this clarification about the chapter and verse divisions, because this word prophecy has a direct link there in verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he's talking that way, and he's saying with regards to the past and to the amount of revelation that we have at the time that Peter's writing this, And he's even referencing, you know, he's going to later on reference 
Paul himself and quote him as uh, inspired scripture. But the fact of the matter is, is at this point, he's mainly looking at Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament. And he's saying, listen, there's no book that is in the Old Testament that's ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were other people who claimed to speak from God and the words that they spoke and maybe even wrote down, those never attained to the level of inspired scripture. And so we have all kinds of false teachers in the past. Now, the people here, false prophets arose among the people, verse 1, probably a reference to the people who are recipients of God's revelation at the end of chapter 1. So we're talking about a lot of the Old Testament scripture. And it's saying that among the people, and this would primarily be the Israelites, okay, they're receiving actual, authentic, inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative scripture, And at the same time that that's happening and God is actually speaking through real authentic prophets, there are false teachers or false prophets who are rising at the same time as the genuine article. So they existed in the past at the time that God's giving revelation. And then we note thirdly that they exist today, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So they exist today. There will, there have been false teachers in the past. We can say without a doubt that there are false teachers now. He will go on and address false teaching later on in this letter. So we know that that's a current thing. And he says it's going to keep happening. So we can say with a pretty high level of confidence that here we sit nearly 2,000 years after Peter has given this under inspiration to the diaspora, to the believers scattered abroad, that we live in an age where false teaching still exists. And that's why we have to be on guard against it. And we also know it will exist in the future, right? It exists today among you, and it will exist in the future. In the church, the among you is combined with the will be, which is a future look. There will be going forward. And so it's no surprise that we find false teachers among us to this very day. As I said earlier, I believe that false teaching will Uh, be prevalent in the world until the greatest false teacher, the first false teacher, who is Satan, is finally for once and for all overthrown and meets his eternal destiny, which is the lake of fire, which was prepared for him and his devils. So we really have to think about this. The pervasive nature of false teaching goes all the way back. These are people who claim to be prophets of God or who falsely prophesy, who twist the word of God, And it goes all the way back to the the Garden of Eden. They existed in the past, not just in the Garden of Eden, but all throughout Israel's history. They existed at the time. uh, Peter is writing this about 2,000 years ago, a little under that. And they exist into the future. And here we sit today, all these years later, and there's still false teaching. It is so pervasive. And it's never going to go away. That's just something that we also have to take into consideration, is that it will never disappear. So not only do we see that it's pervasive, 
But now we begin a longer discussion, and I can guarantee we won't finish it in this episode, but we'll go ahead and get started. And that's this, that false teaching is insidious. It's insidious. That's a negative, that's a pejorative word. It has negative connotations. Uh, It means it's harmful. It means it's sneaky, surreptitious. There's all sorts of things about it, right? So it arises among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So now we're looking at the second part of verse one, and we're saying that it's insidious. And so the first thing that we see under this insidious characteristic of false teaching is that it's surreptitious, it's secret, it's sneaky. The sense of the word secretly bring in is carries with it the idea to introduce something in an illicit fashion by an illegal way as it has no business in the Christian community, writes one commentator. Actually, not a commentator, that's a lexical uh, resource there. Okay, so an illegal way has no business in the Christian community. So they're bringing something in and they're sneaking it in. Listen, no false teacher, not that I know of, is ever going to sit there and wave a flag around for everybody to see and sound the klaxon and say, listen up, everybody. I'm about to pervert the word of God and twist it to my own devices and pleasures. And I really want you to follow me, even though I know it's not true. They're not going to do that. They're going to sneak it in. And, And the thing that they're sneaking in is destructive. Heresy in itself, without even having that adjective, is destructive. But I think he's giving us a a sense of just how damaging false teaching can be. And, And we really, it's for our own instruction that we have this adjective here, because when people do something and it perverts the word of God and it, it perverts a foundational fundamental doctrine, now it is border on heresy. When you begin to teach that salvation, for instance, can be obtained by your good works, that is heresy. Why? Because we know that it goes against the biblical doctrine of anthropology, that man is inherently sinful. We know that our sin nature is so awful that it has actually rendered us in a spiritual sense dead, <laughs> Ephesians 2, 1, right? So, then we also know from other scriptures, and this is touching on the biblical doctrine of soteriology and salvation. How is it that man is actually saved? We know that salvation is a gift of God. It's by grace alone, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, Titus 3, 5. So we know that. Then we go to other places in scripture like Isaiah 64, 6, and that tells us that all of our righteousness, all the things that we think we can do to God or for God, that we can do that, that will bring good in our lives, all those good things, all our righteousness are as filthy garments. Now, I just want to say that that word filthy garments there isn't just talking about something that has been worn a few too many days or has a little bit of dirt and mud or maybe even some oil or grease from the mechanic shop on it. I mean, we're, we're talking about something that's really disgusting, not only in, in Isaiah's day, but, but also today. I mean, we're talking about a garment that is, that is absolutely covered in bodily fluids that are disgusting and it would, it would render a person unclean and it really is fit for either heavy washing or just destruction. 
And it's a vivid picture there because that is what our good works look like in God's sight. Now, if somebody comes to you and says that you can do something that God will accept as good with regards to credit for your salvation, that is a heresy and it is absolutely destructive because it's false. It goes against the gospel. It actually undermines the righteousness that belongs to Christ and him alone. It undermines his all of his perfection and his holiness and his obedience to all that the Father sent him to do and how he fulfilled the law. All of those things, it goes against all of that. It's dangerous. It's destructive. And by the way, if you think that you can merit salvation and you don't look to Christ alone for your salvation, then you have no salvation. And that's really destructive to you personally. We're talking that will result in your eternal bodily destruction. So it's it's very, very sneaky. That's where we were, use this word surreptitious. It's destructive. And it, it has the ability to destroy your faith, Right? It, it brings in heresies, even denying the master who bought them to the point that somebody could introduce a false doctrine, a false teaching with regard to the gospel, and it could lead you to turn away and eventually to deny Christ altogether who bought you. Wow. It has real physical impact in eternity future, and it needs to be taken seriously. So as we taper off here because of time constraints for this episode, let's consider then what we have been presented with here today. We're we're barely, we're not even through all of verse one, but what we have discovered so far is not only do we need to be on guard against the dangers of false teaching, we've seen that it's pervasive past, present, and future. It's always going to be with us until Christ comes back and until Satan is put in his place sin is done away with, but it is absolutely insidious. And as we've begun to unpack this second point of this characteristic of false teaching, we're seeing that it's sneaky, it's surreptitious, and we're beginning to uncover the idea of just how destructive it can be. But to really plumb the depths of the danger of it and its destructive nature, we're going to have to save that for the next episode. This has been another podcast of expositional excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.